Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. As always, the podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. This week, the OpenSSL project released a security bulletin detailing a vulnerability labeled CVE-2022-3602 that they have deemed high in severity. Initially, it was believed that this was critical severity, but it was quickly downgraded to high severity. I believe that is due to the fact a client or server must be configured to verify a malicious email address within a certificate for successful exploit. The other good news here is that OpenSSL version 3.0.7 contains a fix and is already available. The issue was reported to the OpenSSL project on October 17th, and according to Datadog security team, the vulnerability is a memory corruption bug that could be triggered when a vulnerable client or server validates an x.509 certificate, especially crafted email address abusing non-ASCII code points in a client or server certificate could exploit this vulnerability to achieve denial of service or remote code execution. The vulnerability affects OpenSSL versions 3.0.0, which was released in September 2021, all the way through to 3.0.6. An attacker could exploit the vulnerability in any situation where a vulnerable application verifies an untrusted X509 certificate. In particular, this could involve a malicious server sending a specially crafted TLS server certificate to a vulnerable client, a malicious client sending a specially crafted client-side TLS to a vulnerable server requiring client-side TLS authentication. Datadog is just one outlet who have shared their own exploit for this vulnerability, and they've said their research so far has shown Linux to not be susceptible to the exploit but they warn others may create a successful exploit for Linux. So this may not be a purely Windows problem. Mariah Sambu on Twitter suggests that OpenSSL is not commonly used in Windows because Windows uses another built-in library called S-Channel. However, OpenSSL is used in software like VMware Tools, for example, which is installed on most machines running on VMware and in other products too. Some application runtimes, such as Node.js, embed their own version of OpenSSL and need to be upgraded to be protected as well. Robert Scheck is maintaining a list on GitHub of products that use OpenSSL and what their status is. You can see that some Docker products, for example, are flagged as vulnerable, but most are pending investigation at the time of this recording. I suspect many, many products will be susceptible and hotfixes will be in plentiful supply very, very soon. So keep an eye out for notifications from your application vendors because you're probably going to have some updates to roll out in the near future. 
And because misery loves company, the Hacker News reported this week that a high severity vulnerability has been disclosed in the SQLite database library, which was introduced as part of a code change dating all the way back to October 2000 and could enable attackers to crash or control programs. Tracked as CVE-2022-35737 with a severity score of 7.5, this is a 22-year-old issue that affects SQLite versions 1.0.12 all the way through 3.39.1, and it has been addressed in version 3.39.2, which was released in July of this year. SQLite is included by default in Android, iOS, Windows, and macOS, as well as popular web browsers such as Google Chrome, Mozilla Firefox, and Apple Safari. So obviously, it is pretty widely used. And for their part, last Thursday, Google rolled out an emergency fix to contain an actively exploited zero-day flaw in its Chrome web browser. The vulnerability tracked as CVE-2022-3723 has been described as a type confusion flaw in the V8 JavaScript engine. So once again, another security vulnerability in the V8 JavaScript engine in Google Chrome browser. Users are recommended to upgrade to version 107.0.5304.87 for macOS and Linux and 107.0.5304.87 or 0.88 for Windows to mitigate potential threats. Users of Chromium-based browsers such as Edge, Brave, Opera, and Vivaldi are also advised to apply the fixes as and when they become available. And as usually the case, Google leave it pretty light on the details, so don't expect any major in-depth technical details on these vulnerabilities. So this next story does also involve Chrome. However, it is unrelated to the security vulnerability and the patch that I just discussed. This one is specific to an issue within Google Chrome for Citrix users. Citrix have published a KB CTX 473065 warning that recent changes in Google Chrome version 105 are higher and how they handle server certificate verification is leading to some users having issues where initiating browser content redirection within the Chrome browser. Citrix state that the content redirection requires communication to the Citrix HDX HTML5 video redirection service using local Windows certificate root trust. Google Chrome version 105 or higher will use Google Chrome root store to validate certificate roots, and this is incompatible with the internal certificate created for HDX HTML5 video redirection service, and BCR will not work if the browser cannot establish secured connection to the HDX HTML5 video redirection service. And this impacts on all users on a specific VDA because the issue causes the shared service to crash or go into an unrecoverable state. BCR will fail and potentially impact Microsoft Teams optimization due to a WebSocketService.exe crash. The solution offered from Citrix is to disable the Chrome browser Chrome Store root certificate verifier on VDA 
using the Google Chrome policy. Alternatively, there's an option to use a command line switch to disable Chrome root store used. So if you're publishing the browser, maybe that's an option to just change the command line in the target within Studio. The entire path to the group policy that you can use is quite long, so I won't call it on the podcast, but I'll share a link to the CTX article if you want to check it out for yourself. And you'll find that over at fivebytespodcast.com under the reference links for this episode, which is episode 254. Ars Technica have reported that exploit code was released this week for a just patch vulnerability in VMware Cloud Foundation and NSX Manager appliances that allows hackers with no authentication to execute malicious code with the highest system privileges. VMware have patched the vulnerability, which is being tracked as CVE-2021-39144, and last week they issued it a severity rating of 9.8 out of 10. The vulnerability, which resides in the Xtreme open source library that Cloud Foundation and NSX Manager relies on, poses so much risk that VMware have taken the unusual step to patching versions that were no longer supported. The vulnerability affects Cloud Foundation's version 3.11 and lower. Versions 4.x are not at risk, but if you're on those older versions, you'll want to patch as quickly as possible. Microsoft have released version 0.64.0 of Power Toys, and this version brings the official release of the previously disclosed file locksmith feature, which allows seeing which processes are currently using selected files. And there's also a new utility, uh, which is the host files editor that allows you to edit your host files in an editor UI. There've also been some enhancements, like now Fancy Zones allows you to set defaults for horizontal vertical screens to get better intended behavior for new screens in cases where a monitor ID resets, plus more. So if you're a fan of Power Toys like I am, try out this new version. File Locksmith alone is going to be worth the upgrade. Microsoft have announced Windows Defender firewall security capabilities in Intune that allow for reusing group settings to target devices and users. Notably, the new settings now support the use of fully qualified domain name rules. These new capabilities are said to simplify management and provide more advanced controls to configure firewall rules, allowing administrators to reuse setting groups across policies. Administrators are able to create and manage groups that contain properties that can be reused across policies, which includes properties for remote IP address ranges and for those fully qualified domain name definitions and auto resolution. If you'd like to see a walkthrough example of these enhancements to the Windows Defender firewall within Intune, Microsoft have supplied that at the tech community and I'll share a link with this episode to that. And for an update to a story I covered previously on the podcast, the Google Hangouts web app is now no longer available. This was the last Hangouts offering available to users. The Android and iOS apps actually died back in July. TechCrunch.com reports that users have until January 2023 to keep their Hangouts data if they would like it. Users should use the Google Takeout app to download and save a copy of their data. 
Google are instead trying to push those users into using their chat app. So unfortunately, Hangouts going is just yet another Google service gone the way of the dodo. And while chat doesn't offer everything that you got in Hangouts, maybe the new features the users will be getting through that that they didn't get in Hangouts would be enough to convince them to migrate. That includes features like group conversations, as well as security and collaboration tools like spaces and editing documents, slides, or sheets side by side with other users, with other users in real time. Chat also allows users to send GIFs and use at mentions to notify someone in the group. So very similar to the likes of Teams and Slack, at least in that regard. It was a big week for Citrix support on Google Cloud Platform. They announced two new purpose-built Citrix DAS additions in the Google Marketplace, and that they're rolling out new technical capabilities like Citrix provisioning service for Google Cloud and Citrix image portability service. And also this week, Citrix announced a Google Cloud hosted Citrix DAS control plane in the European Union which will be great for those European customers who prefer to use only locations based in the EU for data privacy reasons. And obviously these announcements for Google Cloud Platform is great because, you know, at one time Citrix were kind of pulling back and they were removing support for Citrix virtual apps and desktops on different public clouds. Whereas now it seems like they're more intent on embracing multi-cloud solutions for the likes of Citrix DAS, for example. So, and they've gone back and they're providing support now for various different uh, public clouds for Citrix virtual apps and desktops too. So that's great to see. Once again, there are reports of a new icon popping up in the Intune portal. This time it's for the Chrome OS device types. For those who have got it in their tenant already, the feature for managing and supporting these Chrome OS devices is currently in a preview state. And another quick update for Intune users. The awesome Rudy Ooms shared this week that the Intune team have published that an uninstall button will be coming to the company portal for your Win32 apps. So it seems like something pretty simple, you know, advertising the ability to uninstall some Win32 apps managed in Intune via the company portal, but you know, it hasn't been there and it will be there in the future. And finally wrapping up the news for this week, but I will be speaking at the Irish Citrix user group meetup on November 17th, starting at 1.30 p.m. And it's gonna be a pretty special event because it's going to be held in the Teeling Whiskey Distillery in Dublin. So if you'd like to hear about Numescent Cloud Pager for managing your applications within your Citrix desktops, and to get a tour of the awesome distillery and maybe even taste some whiskey and even to opt in and to have a chance to win a DJI Mini SE drone. Register and attend. Oh, and be sure to opt in for the giveaway if you're interested in winning that drone. See you there. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, the awesome Johan had a blog post at deploymentresearch.com, which brings it back to basics on implementing an image factory. So this is something that if you've worked on a desktop team, you've likely done multiple times in the past, but for a refresh, or even if you're new to the game and you'd like to learn how, 
check out this blog post. It's full of great information. And the infamous Swift on Security on Twitter shared uh, what they're calling a dumb trick, and that is to send Control-Alt-Delete to an RDP within RDP, say on a jump box, open osk.exe and click Control plus Alt plus End, and this will send it into the third layer. So that's some uh, Windows layer inception work. Microsoft 365pro.co.uk had an interesting post this week on the Viva admin experience. So Viva is something that I don't know a whole lot about other than I get emails constantly every day because I'm an Office 365 user. Um, but I did listen to a really great podcast on the Run As Radio uh, where they went through the Viva uh, features. So this seems like something that's going to be of interest to a lot of administrators. Meryl Fernando shared this week a really cool project, the cmd.ms, which provides shortcut URLs for accessing many of the Azure and 365 portals without needing to type in the full URLs every time. So you can just learn these shortened URLs and get there quicker. And finally, to promote some of my own work, I posted a blog this week on how to improve Azure Virtual Desktop performance with free ephemeral disks and also using CloudPager for managing the applications on these virtual desktops with the ephemeral disks. So it's something that a lot of Azure Virtual Desktop users are very interested in because the ephemeral disks are actually free to use, so they're quite attractive and they're very performant. They have very low latency. So if you're interested in that, if you're an Azure Virtual Desktop Administrator or maybe you don't know anything about ephemeral disks, it's still worth checking out the blog and the video because I kind of explain it. And if you want to try out for yourself, even if you're not using CloudPager, you can follow my steps and get set up with an Azure Virtual Desktop with an ephemeral disk just to test it out for yourself. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Sorry the audio has been pretty inconsistent over the last few weeks. I think I mentioned on a previous episode, but I've been trying out three different tools for hopefully streamlining the recording and editing of the podcast. And one of them is a beta tool. And I've been using that over the last, I think, four or five weeks. And it seems to be going through some changes and it's not quite there yet. Um, I'm back to my old way of recording the podcast this week because it completely failed for me this week, the beta program. Um, So sorry for the inconsistency. I think the episodes have been pretty legible anyway, no matter what way I've been recording and editing. It's just that you may notice a change in the audio from episode to episode. Anyway, thank you for your patience and thank you for continuing to support and listen to me on the podcast. And I'll catch you next week.